Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 7, Episode 16. In reality, I think what makes you a really good coach is learning how to coach lots of different athletes and learning how to coach different sports. So when it comes time to you to earn the right to be able to specialize within one sport, you're going to know how to deal with different personalities and different athletes. And your problem-solving ability is going to be that much more expansive because you've been able, you've been exposed to so much more. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. This is the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Eric McMahon, and today we're joined by 2024 NSCA College Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year, Brajesh Patel. Uh, that award was recently announced uh on the nsca website and through a press release brajesh congrats man thank you so much eric it's uh I, like i said before it's just i'm honored um to receive such a prestigious award and very humbled yeah so you are at quinnipiac university you've been there since 2008 uh, i knew you a stop before that at holy cross and you've been in the field for a long time i know you were a nominee for for the coach of the year award uh, a couple times. So it's nice to see you, you finally get that nod, uh, but you had a big year. Quinnipiac just won the 2023 national championship in division one hockey. Uh, how's that feel, man, as a strength and conditioning coach at an institution you've been at for so many years to, to win that championship. Eric, it'd be, um, it's, it's a lot of emotion, honestly. Like it was, you know, I came here in 2008, um, there was no strength conditioning program prior to my arrival. So that was one of the unique things that kind of drew me to Quinnipiac is being able to start a program from scratch. Cause there's not a lot of people that get the opportunity to build a program. Um, and it was just me. Like I was the first full-time strength coach. Uh, I had no staff, no, no, no interns at the time. Um, one facility that we kind of trained hockey and basketball out of. And then the other facility was our student rec center that uh, you know, like we kind of had vendors come in and they had to train the other teams, you know, and everything had to be done before 10 a.m. So it was, uh, you know, seeing it from that from that um, standpoint and, you know, now to a point where we have two facilities, I've got, you know, a staff of three full time assistants, um, you know, the hockey program won the national championship. But it's a it's it's a long time coming and it's um it's extremely rewarding to be able to see something like that started from very little, you know, and there's a lot of stories that go around, go around around the hockey program of, you know, our head coach has been here for 30 plus years. They used to practice at midnight. Um, his office used to be a closet and it's almost like a rags to riches type of story where, you know, and especially, you know, playing Minnesota, beating Minnesota is almost like a David versus Goliath story in itself. But it was, um, it, it was a long time coming. Like that was the third time we've been to the national championship. Um, I don't know the exact stat, but I think I've seen it online over the last 10 years um, where we might be one of the most winningest programs in, in the country. Um, so we've had a lot of success over, over time. And um, it's just constantly knocking at the door, knocking at the door, knocking at the door. And finally, you know, we had the group to be able to break through, but you know, the, the, the rush of emotions was not only the group that won, but everybody who had come before who was willing to, you know, build a foundation create the culture, uh, establish the values and the, in the belief system that, you know, the Quinnipiac hockey is, 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 is about. Um, and a lot of those things kind of start in the weight room. And so I'm very proud to be able to, um, you know, to have coached the group that is, 
you know, that won the first national championship here at Quinnipiac. Yeah. Hockey's huge in the Northeast. A lot of top programs that you guys get to compete against. Uh, pretty much every, pretty much every game is a big game for you guys. And so yeah. it's, it's exciting to see a, a school that maybe gets overlooked sometimes in the, in the hockey ranks over the years, uh, just build such success. And you've been a part of that since the beginning. I love that rags to riches mentality of, you know, and we hear that weight rooms, you know, these kind of these dungeon weight room stories in, in the profession. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, it's uh, if you've ever been, I don't think you've been to our facility, but it's it's a beautiful facility. And, you know, it was built in 07. It's kind of outdating. It's kind of dating itself now. But that was one of the big things, too, that kind of drew me to Quinnipiac back in the day. And, and this is probably good for anybody who listens to this is, um, you know, I heard this growing up through my career. And when I was looking to make a move from Holy Cross, um, somebody had told me um, the level of your success is going to be predicated by the president, and the athletic director. And when I came to Quinnipiac University in 2008, um, I had seen a massive commitment towards hockey and basketball. Like those are the primary sports that they wanted to be good at. And they just didn't want to be good regionally. They wanted to be good nationally. And um, the level of investment that I saw was profound in, in wanting me to take over this program and, and take this job in the first place. But it was um, it was constant investments over the course of the time that led to um you know not us having a kind of like a dungeon mentality but also it just led to us getting to where we needed to be because administration saw the value in um in the hockey program but also in the support staff that goes around the hockey program and you know that our head coach is a big advocate of mine and you know we 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 believe in each other and we trust each other and so he's been a huge advocate for me um, for being able to stay here this long and for me wanting to stay here this long. Um, but that's a, it's a key thing for anybody who's listening to this too, is if you, if you're looking to take a job, if you're looking to make a move, the support from administration, the president goes a long way, you know, and if you want to be in a system and you want to be at a place that desires to be excellent, um, you, you by yourself are only going to go so far, right? You obviously got to have really good athletes. Uh, but you got to have a support system around you that's going to be allow you to thrive and allow you to do your job to the best of your ability. Yeah, that's incredible advice. Would you say that hockey has taken steps forward uh, in the in recent years of getting more resources related to strength and conditioning, but programs as a whole? I mean, I, traditionally we think of college football and yeah. some of the other basketball, as you mentioned. Uh, do, do you think hockey's on the rise in terms of resources being allocated? I do. I think it's one of that, it's that next tier, like uh, college football dominates everything, right? It's got the most amount of money. It's got the largest TV deals and you can see it with uh, conference realignment and everybody kind of cannibalizing each other. It, it's, it's not about geography anymore. It's about dollars. Right. And so that trickle down effect, I think is, has made its way into basketball as, as a lot of conferences try to realign themselves from a basketball standpoint to, to get the most lucrative TV deals. And I think the next tier of like, you know, big time sports that are going to help um, um, push the envelope is, is baseball, I think in the South primarily um, and then hockey in the Northeast and the Midwest. Um, and you start to see what, the roles that some of these schools start to carve out, right. They start to sit, you know, they post positions that are specifically for uh, men's and women's ice hockey or men's ice hockey or women's ice hockey solely. Whereas 
when I started at the University of Connecticut, um, you know, hockey wasn't really a big, wasn't a big program that they invested in. And so the hockey transition coach often had another three or four teams at the same time. It was the same thing at Holy Cross with Jeff Oliver and myself. We, you know, we had, we had 14 teams each, you know, so it was, uh, it's different to the standpoint now where you can start to see there's a trickle down effect that's happened from football because they start to understand that if you want to be really good, you've got to make investments and you have to make investments in the people around your program to best support the student athletes that are, that are in your program. And um, it's even since I've been here since 2008, like I've seen it more and more within our league, within other schools around the Northeast, that like they're creating these positions that are specifically solely for one or two sports and primarily in, in, in the sport of ice hockey, which is, it's awesome to see. And I remember, you know, Jerry Martin, Andrew, who back in the day, they would say that they had that, um, they had that inclination. This was in the early 2000s. They told me, I remember it was the staff meeting we had, they, they, uh, they had an inclination that, that a lot of strength conditioning was going to go that route where everybody's going to be a little bit more specialized. And, um, you know, that's sometimes you see that with the young kids coming out too, young coaches, they, they want to specialize so much in one sport when in reality, I think what makes you a really good coach is learning how to coach lots of different athletes and learning how to coach different sports. So when it comes time to you to earn the right to be able to specialize within one sport, you're going to know how to deal with different personalities and different athletes. And your problem solving ability is going to be that much more expansive because you've been able, you've been exposed to so much more. Yeah. That's such an interesting perspective on the single sports strength coach. Often we think about it through our lens as, okay, if I'm going to be applying for this job, I'm applying with the hockey coach or the football coach. So I'm going to be yeah. reporting to a sport coach. And that's sort of a, a double-edged sword. And as we see it in the strength and conditioning profession versus being part of a an Olympic strength and conditioning department. But what you're saying is that a school that's able to do that is allocating more resources specific to strength and conditioning. And obviously with the with the growth of technology and sports science yes. and all these different tasks that coaches are being uh, being added with their workload, uh, having that dedicated role is actually a benefit to them in terms of their workload. So they're not having to split multiple teams and do basically do all the work of an entire department. Uh, you mentioned UConn, you mentioned Holy Cross, obviously Quinnipiac. Go back to the beginning for us. What was your motivation to get into strength and conditioning? Uh, you know, this is something that's unique. And, and I'll always say that I think I'm wired differently than a lot of people. Like I knew I wanted to be a strength conditioning coach when I was in a, when I was in high school, you know, it was, and I don't know if that's often the case nowadays, but I knew what I wanted. And, um, you know, you don't often see, uh, you know, I'm Indian by, by, um, you know, my ethnicity, you don't often see a lot of Indian people within strength conditioning. And so I remember having a conversation with my, with my parents, they're like, you know, what are you going to study in school? And they said, I want to be a strength conditioning coach. And they looked at me like sideways and they're like, can you support a family on that way? And that was, you know, that that's, was, the, that's uh, a fair I, question. That, yeah. You know? well, it, took me, you know, it took me sideways. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to figure it out. Like I, it, I, I made it a point to kind of almost prove them wrong because it was something that I was passionate about. And I, and I said to them, I, I didn't want to do something with my life that I didn't enjoy, you know, and I enjoyed exercise. I enjoyed training. I enjoyed athletics and, uh, and I wanted to help other athletes become, uh, or help reach their goals. That's what I established when I was, when I was in high school. I knew that I, I was limited athletically. I wasn't going to be able to compete at the highest level. 
Um, but I knew that training helped me through my high school career and that exercise, nutrition, and all these things that, that go into performance helped me. And I wanted to be able to help other athletes reach their goals. And um, so I went to the University of Connecticut. Uh, second week on campus, there was a flyer up in the student rec center. Uh, and it said, you know, come learn from Andrew Hootie, you know, assistant strength conditioning coach um, for varsity athletics. And I saw it and I'm like, so I went to it and I don't remember what she taught. And she might've taught like, you know, squat and, you know, how to deadlift or how to clean or whatever it might've been like a little workshop. And I, after it, I went up to her and I said, um, I'd like to be a strength conditioning coach. What do I do? And she kind of directed me towards the varsity weight room. And she said, you go, well, you got to meet with coach, Mar coach Martin. And, um, you know, you can, you can try to be an intern. And so I remember I went down the varsity weight room and, and this was a dungeon. Like this was in the basement. Um, there was no, there was no windows. There was no daylight. And I remember meeting coach Martin and, uh, I don't, I don't know if you've ever met coach Martin, but he, uh, large man, intimidating. And I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, okay, we'll get back to you. And, uh, you know, I went back to my dorm room and I didn't have a cell phone. This was like was 1998. So I didn't have a cell phone. And so uh, my dorm room phone call, phone rings and I pick it up and it, it's uh, Sean Wendell. And Sean calls me and he says, Hey, I hear you want to, um, you want to be a strength coach. Why don't you come down and watch track and field? And I said, okay. So I went down uh, to the varsity weight room and I watched track and field. And then coach Martin brings me into the office afterwards and starts peppering me with questions and puts me on a whiteboard. And um, there's a lot of things I had no idea what he was talking about. He was asking about fulcrums and lever systems and biomechanics. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't know a lot of the things and he's like, all right, go look it up and then come back. And so I remember I went to the bookstore, I bought, I bought some strength conditioning books and I started reading them and I'd go back and, uh, and he, you know, every time after every session, he peppered me with questions. And I think what he was doing was testing me uh, to see if I'd continue to come coming back. And he quickly realized that he was never going to get rid of me. And so I kept coming back. I kept coming back. And eventually, you know, they gave me more responsibility. And I remember my spring semester, the semester was almost over my freshman year. He was like, he, he asked me to teach, you know, a women's track and field player how to, how to do a clean. And I was like, I was like, okay. And so I remember teaching her how to do a clean through the progressions that I learned from the staff. And, and um, at that point I was like, wow, like, you know, he's actually letting me coach. Like, this is what I want to do. And uh, every year, you know, I got more and more responsibility. I became friendly with the staff. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to, you know, really get mentored by, by Sean Wendell a lot. And Sean took me under his wing and he introduced me to Jeff Oliver, introduced me to Mike Boyle. He got me an internship with Mike Boyle. Um, you know, I came back and Sean ended up leaving for a job at Rutgers and then coach Martin came back to me. This was going into my senior year. And he's like, Hey, you know, we're in a pinch. We're not gonna be able to hire anybody till, till January. Do you, can you take over for some teams? Uh, and, and I'm a senior in college. Like I just passed my CSCS that summer and I said, sure. And he said, okay, you're in charge of track and field and, and baseball. And so I was a senior in college. I lived in the dorms. You know, I worked with football, I worked with basketball, um, and I live with a lot of these kids on the same floor. I took classes with some of these kids that I was coaching, and um, I was a essentially like a full-time strength conditioning coach. I was in charge of talking to athletic trainers. I was in charge of dealing with the coaches and, and asking about practice plans and, and talking about training and, and organizing travel and helping them all to do these things, and it was, uh, it was awesome. It was I don't think there's a lot of those opportunities that happen now, but that was, um, 
you know, it led me into getting a GA position. I did a couple internships at Holy Cross over the summer times, but um, I, yeah, my journey started when I was 18 years old. And so um, I had gotten a lot of repetitions, a lot of mentoring, and I can look back and, and just the amount of people that I've been able to, to surround myself with at that time was, was awesome. It's just, it's, it's like the who's who of coaches. I mean, um, Andrew Hootie, Tina Murray, Chris West, Sean Wendell, Mo Butler, Jeff Oliver, Mike Patent. Like just so many people that from my experiences in the Northeast, um, Adam Fight, Mary Kate Fight. Like there was just so many really good coaches at that time. And it was almost like the birth of strength issue where it started to become a little bit bigger and bigger. So I was very fortunate, but um, that's a little bit of my story. Um, then you know, I ended up as at Holy Cross for four and a half years and, and working with Jeff Oliver was a was a blessing. It, he taught me so much more about strength conditioning, but more about life and understanding how to have balance. Um, and that's something I brought to Quinnipiac and, and with my staff too, is um, getting people to understand that you, you aren't a coach 24 seven, right? You, you've got to be able to have some family, family aspects of your life. You got to have some work-life balance um, to, not, to not only avoid burnout, but to help you become your best self when you're actually with the athletes that you're around. Um, so that's, uh, that's a little bit my, my story, but I'm, I'm blessed to be, to be where I am and to have the experience that I have. I want to hear you unpack that work-life balance aspect a little bit more. It's something we hear, we hear about, we were talking about dungeon weight rooms, talk about the progression of the field. It's something we really didn't hear about back then. (laughs) And your, your journey, it was really, it's really one of persistence. You know, you, you got an early start in the profession, like, like many of us do, and you just never, you never quit. You keep, you keep finding resources and mentors and, and finding what that next step's going to be to progress your knowledge, progress your coaching ability, and just get more opportunities. But on the work-life balance front, I, obviously a little older now, a little more experience. You have a family is this an area that we have improved as a field? Uh, do you, you know, where do you think we're at right now? I, I think it's a mixed bag and I think it depends on where you're at. You know, that it was when I was at the university of Connecticut, it was, um, it was, you know, the people that I was surrounded with were unbelievable coaches, but it was all about coaching all the time and all about athletics all the time. And I didn't know any different. You know, um, I, Coach Martin would tell me stories where he used to live in New Haven and, you know, New Haven of stores is probably about an hour away. And um, sometimes he would, you know, sleep on the side of the highway and then he'd go back to Yukon. And um, I to me, I was like, oh, that's just, you know, it's a, it's a story of perseverance. And I remember I went to Holy Cross and Jeff would be like, dude, you're going to kill yourself. He's like, you you can't do this all the time. He's like, name me name me coaches who have retired as strength coaches. And I was like, uh, <laughs> like <laughs> at that time, I'm like, I don't really know a lot. And he's like, he's like, cause they don't because they burn themselves out. He's like, so he would force me, there'd be massive gaps in my day. Like if I had teams early in the morning, I might have three, four or five hours where I don't have anybody before my next trip. He's like, go home. He's like, go grocery shopping. He's like, go to the schedule your dentist appointment. He's like, do do go get an oil change or whatever you need to do. He's like, just, just go leave. And he would force me to go leave. And um, and it was at that point, like, it was hard to do initially because I wasn't wired that way. 
but he basically told me, he's like, listen, he's like, if you try to do this 24 seven, he's like, you're not going to have much of a lifespan. And so you've got to be able to understand that it has to be balance. And so, and I would see it too. He would say it to me, but he would tell me that he, and he would show me because he'd have his kids around the weight room. He would leave, you know, like to go home for, for lunch, have lunch with his wife. And I had never seen that before. And I saw it and I'm like, you know what? Nothing suffered. Nothing ever broke down. Everything still worked like a fine oiled machine because it was almost like when we were, when he was there, he was all in, you know, and the and athletes saw that. But when it was time to turn it off, he turned it off. And so I started to realize that at the same time too, it's, you need to be able to have that balance because, you know, we talked to our student athletes about this too. When it's, when we want to go high, you got to go all in and you got to go high intensity. But when we want to rest and recover, we got to shut it down. So why would we not follow the same rules that we try to teach our athletes about, you know, making sure that they recover when it's time to recover. And now I think it's a little bit more prevalent, right? There's, there's so many different things you can do to help shut off, whether it be meditation has become much more prevalent or mindfulness, um, different apps that you can use, like different recovery strategies that you can use, like sleep pods, there's recovery rooms, like all these types of things are trying to force you to recover. But sometimes the biggest thing you can do to recover is just unplug or just go away or just go do what you need to do to take care of yourself. And uh, I, I think it's massively important for anybody within this field to realize, obviously, we are in a service field, right? We work with student athletes. We work, we, we work with athletes no matter what setting you work or we work, have clients. Um, but for you to be at your best, you need to make sure you're at your physical best. You know, it's almost this principle that I talk to the student athletes that, that I get to work with. And I actually did this talk for teachers, too, is you have to be able to lead yourself before you can lead others. So if you're going to ask other people to shut it down, to stretch, to recover, to meditate, to to get away from their sport, to take some time away, then wouldn't it make sense if you did it yourself? And then when you do it and your athletes see it, I think you gain, you earn a little bit more respect because they understand that you have balance, too. Yeah, I love that performance analogy you gave. I love that, you know, in a lot of times we can do this, right? We know reps and sets, yeah. we know strength and conditioning, and there's, there's hidden wisdom within our field that maybe wasn't intended, but we, we need to do that. And that's, that's maturity. That's, that's yes. any yeah. experience early, early in your career and learning from that. And then how to, you talk about Jeff Oliver and and how you approach coaching now. It's it's really being able to flip that switch on and go all mm -hmm. in in that moment, like you're asking your athletes to do, whether it's in training or on game day. But in the big picture, you are playing the long game. To, mm -hmm. to do the most good in this profession, you have to be in this profession for a long time. And to do that, it, it impacts your energy level how you, you know, how you're feeling about things just on a day-to-day -day yep. basis. It, it's such a, it's such a positive message and, and path that we're on right now uh, to think about the field in this way, but it doesn't take away from the fact that we, our job is to push athletes sometimes yes. close to their breaking point or where, where they really experience uh, another level of challenge, taking them to to another level. And that's, what's really great about our profession. And it's an area you mentioned, we're, we're getting better as a profession at being able, being able to navigate the gas pedal and the brake pedal. 
Yeah, that's it, great. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And uh, it's I do want to say this though, when it comes to it is early on in your career, you may have to work a little bit more than than you probably want to, and then probably you need to because you need to get develop the reps, right? There needs to be a phase of your journey or phase of your development where you have to put in the reps. And those are the key reps and how you learn how to read body language, how to uh, deal with difficult conversations, like how to how to coach, how to organize, how to deal with logistics, how to deal with different constraints that you might be experiencing. And because uh, if you're not exposed to those, you're not going to have the requisite tools in your toolbox to be able to understand how to deal with difficult situations and different scenarios. And so there are times when you, you got to sprint, right? And you got to sprint and you got to put in those reps. And once you put in those reps, then you got to start to understand, like, now it's time for me to peel back a little bit. Um, and also developing some coaching strategies where you empower the people that you're around and the people that you get to work with to do the things on their own, right? Like I, I tell recruits flat out, like, I'm not a handholder. I'm not going to hold your hand through every single day. I will teach you and I'm a guide along your journey. But at the end of the day, it's your journey. So if you want to get better, I'm here for you. Um, and it's no different than with the interns that I have on or the fellows that I have on or the staff I have as well. It's, it's, I will, I will help guide you, but at the end of the day, you got to put in the reps. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned recruiting and this is something that doesn't come up a ton when we talk about strength and conditioning, but what's the role of the strength and conditioning coach in the recruiting process? Uh, has that changed over the time in your career, I know we're hearing a lot about NIL and transfer portals and, you know, <laughs> it's a, it's a wild, it's a wild area, you know, college athletics right now with a lot of changes happening. Um, talk about recruiting a little bit. Uh, so I was fortunate if I saw, you know, this how's the role of transitioning recruiting from early on, like when I was at the university of Connecticut, I saw every one of our staff members was involved in the recruiting process by meeting with prospective student athletes. So they were part of the itinerary. The, the coaches that brought prospective student athletes around made time and carved time out for the strength conditioning staff to meet with them to discuss the strength conditioning program. And, um, you know, that was at my stages of uh, UConn, it was the stages of, of myself at Holy Cross. And then as well here, um, the, the thing that I have noticed is that I think strength conditioning plays a much larger role than it did maybe or 20 years ago um, when you talk to a student athlete, because a lot of the kids now have had some level of training on their own, whether it be with uh, their sport coaches or they've gone to a private instructor or they've gone to strength conditioning facilities for development. I think training isn't something you do just to get an edge. It's, it's you got to do to keep your edge, right? That, that's what's happened at the development stages now with youth athletics. Um, so I think a lot of the kids have some level of strength and experience, whether it be good, bad, and different. You know, it's, it's one of those things that when I asked a question, you know, what's your experience? A lot of them have said they've trained and that's across the board, men, women, basketball, hockey, doesn't matter the sport, like a lot of them have trained maybe not with intent or maybe not consistently, but their training age is just probably a little bit higher than it was 20 years ago. And I think what starts to happen, and, and I say this to, uh, to our recruits is sometimes, and I say it to parents too, because it's, it's really important for them to understand is sometimes you're going to spend as much time, if not more time with the strength teaching staff than you are your sport coaches, especially when it comes to, um, off-season training. Like I work with winter sports, so our off-season is summertime. And the NCAA rules say, especially in hockey, you're not, you, you can't work with your hockey coaches in the summer, but you can work with your strength conditioning staff in the summer. 
So I see our student athletes, some of them are here for 12, 12 to 14, 15 weeks. So I see them all summer long. I'm the first person who gets to work with our incoming freshmen or any transfers. I'm the first person that they see. So I think strength conditioning is a large, plays a large part in the recruiting role um, because these kids are going to spend a lot of time training. And that's one thing I always try to get through to our potential student athletes and their families and their parents is like, listen, like you want to be in a place, especially to a parent where your child is taken care of, right? Where your child is, their well-being is thought of. It's not just about trying to push them to the next level, but it's also getting them to understand how to understand how to be adult, how, how to take care of themselves, um, you know, in the, in the arena, in the gym, but also away, like teaching them, you know, how to grow grocery shopping, teaching them about nutrition, teaching them about stress management, teaching them about how to sleep, um, teaching them all these tools so they can be healthy, not only while they're here, but also for the rest of their lives too. So um, I think it's a big piece of the puzzle. And I think it's something that's definitely evolved over, over the course of time. And I think it's important to, for strength conditioning coaches, if you do get to meet with prospective student athletes and parents, is to get them to understand what your vision is and what your mission is and how you can best help and support the student athletes that you, you could potentially work with. You, you've navigated sort of your entire career of 20, 25 years in the profession. And we've, we've kind of taken this episode along a continuum from the early days to today. What are some of the changes you're seeing now, maybe for better or for worse? Uh, yeah, there's there's some massive changes. I think we've talked about them a little bit more in terms of like specialization. Like a lot of coaches have become specialized within particular sports. And I think that's great, right? Because it lends for more time um, to work with individual student athletes. It's it's a it's a massive resource for the for the head coach for the program. It's a recruiting benefit um, to be able to say that you have a strength and coach that works solely with your team and your team only. Um, cause it's more access, it's more, uh, you can build a stronger relationship, but oftentimes I see this in the development of young coaches and people who want intern is they may not want to put in the same amount of time that it requires that it takes to earn the right to be able to work with one team solely. Like a lot of these coaches and young coaches think that they do one internship and they're automatically prepared to get a full-time job. Like it doesn't work that way. Like there's um, there's a lot of things that you need to be able to experience. There's a lot of people things that you need to be able to understand. Like I talked about before, like understanding how to deal with different constraints of weight room logistics, lack of equipment, um, to understand how to best navigate yourself for you know for the opportunities that's that come up in the future. Um, but I think there's no uh, there's nothing that replaces the opportunity to work with lots of different student athletes to work with many different sports, work with many different coaches to understand personalities. I think that's one of the biggest things I see in the field right now is for young coaches to want to work with everybody and not to just want to work with premier sports all the time, because it's easy to coach really gifted athletes. And oftentimes when you get to work with these, you know, these programs, maybe the upper echelon programs or their tier one programs, uh, they often have a lot of really good athletes. And so it doesn't require as much of coaching ability to coach the best athletes. You may have to coach them a little bit differently, but for you to be able to really develop your coaching skills, your coaching eye, you've got to work with maybe the least talented athletes, the less talented athletes um, to understand that you know, what cueing is going to work, what coaching is going to work, how to design a program, how to, um, you know, how to figure out your system, right? Develop a system of training. I think that's another thing too, is 
I don't know if a lot of young coaches realize that having a system and how it's going to work and how it's going to transfer to different locations and different, different places with different sports. I think those are probably the missing things that I see a lot in the development process. Um, and then the other thing too, in terms of, of good is, is that I think there's more strength pitching jobs across the, uh, across the industry, which is good from the high school level, all the way up to the private setting and, and private facilities, but also at the college level too. Um, even professional, like the, this, the amount of staff expansion that has, cur- has occurred has been, has been unreal. It's been awesome. Um, it has allowed for a lot more people to get, get jobs, um, especially with high schools, hiring strength conditioning coaches. Um, so that's a really a positive thing that I've seen within the field. Um, but, you know, th- it, there's so many other things too, like the, the, the progression of technology and understanding how to use technology within training, uh, the emergence of, uh, of a different hat that we often have to wear is like being a sports scientist at the same time too. Like there's, there's so many different roles, but there's also different specialists that have been specialist jobs that have been created too. Um, because some places can afford the ability to hire maybe a sports scientist specifically for an athletic department or a specific team. So there's a lot of good things, like a lot of job opportunities have been created. Um, but at the same time, I do think as a, from a development standpoint, that younger coaches need to not be afraid to work and not be afraid to diversify the experiences that they have and just play the long game. Right. It just, there's no quick, there's no rush to success. Like things take time. It's great to see obviously the job growth we we've had in our profession. Uh, It's never fast enough. I know a lot of coaches would say we need to advocate even more for higher salaries and in better positions and more career progressions. But I like the mentality you, you described of really investing our time early in our career to build a breadth of experience and knowledge. And there's a lot that can be learned. And if you want to be a division one hockey strength and conditioning coach, well, you might be dealing with a shoulder injury that when you worked with baseball or another yeah. sport yep. that that could be beneficial, that knowledge that maybe you're not going to get that experience enough in a sport like hockey to really be able to work through that. So just an example there, but there's a lot of, inherent learning that happens sort of through that Olympic strength and conditioning path that we came up with. Uh, And that is a change in the field. It's something for aspiring coaches to realize that if your first internship is with a single sport program or whatever it may be, don't, don't foreclose your approach so much that you that you limit your opportunities in the future because I think there are a lot of coaches out there that that maybe aspire to to one thing and 10 15 years later are doing something slightly different or completely different and that's okay I think that speaks to the professional growth and just the number of jobs that are out there we've we've seen a lot even in tactical military side of the yeah, profession I didn't even mention that yep that's a yeah. huge growth and it is really great to see growth in our profession. Um, I want to congratulate you again, man, on your award. Uh, you mean a lot to the NSCA. I want to say that. Uh, and, and just thanks so much for everything you've done over the years to help coaches grow. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in a week or two at Coaches Conference. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. I really appreciate the time and for, uh, for the ability to be able to share and hopefully inspire some other coaches to. Um, you know, to push forward in their career paths.
Hey, we covered a lot. What's the best way for listeners to reach out and connect with you? Uh, so the best way is probably via socials or I, my, probably my website, like coachbpatel.com. Um, it's a, it's something I put together during COVID about, uh, it has all the podcasts I've done, our, our articles I've written, um, different opportunities for, um, cons consultations, coaching. And uh, so that's, it, you can probably reach me best through there. That's probably the best way to get about me. Awesome. We'll throw that in, in the show notes. So thanks again. And everyone, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, this was a fun conversation. I think there's a lot of good nuggets, takeaways, regardless of where you're at in your coaching, your coaching journey. And uh, if, you know, just a little plug for our NSCA awards that we need nominees every single year for our professional college, assistant college strength and conditioning coach of the year. Uh, awards, also our high school strength and conditioning coach of the year award that comes out at national conference every year. So uh, if you know, if you have a great colleague or someone that you think is deserving and you want to recommend them, go on nsca.com. We'll throw that link in the show notes as well so that you can nominate a fellow coach. And uh, also special thanks to Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. Hi coaches, I'm Leanne Blinn the 2022 NSCA College Strength Conditioning Coach of the Year. You just listened to an episode of the NSCA Coaching Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to hear important conversations about the strength conditioning profession. Don't miss an upcoming episode. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and comment on some of the highlights at NSCA's Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. You can also hear full episodes on the NSCA's newest channel, nsca.tv. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.